the History Channel original podcast. Ask any NBA fan, what's the best team of all time? They're going to give you champions. The 96 Bulls, the 86 Celtics, 87 Lakers, maybe the 2018 Warriors with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. But if you ask them, what's your favorite team? That gets more interesting. A lot of them would still say the Warriors, but not the Warriors that won a championship. Today, we're talking about an immortal team, the We Believe Warriors. How they go from perennial losers to hometown heroes to solidifying their place in NBA history without winning it all. Sports History This Week, May 3rd, 2007. I'm Kalen Jones. Welcome to Oracle Arena in Oakland, California. It's packed with some of the loudest and hungriest fans in all of sports, ready to watch their scrappy underdog Golden State Warriors play in a matchup they definitely should lose. They're facing the top-seeded Dallas Mavericks, led by Dirk Nowitzki. Vegas puts the Warriors' odds of winning this series at 14-1. The Warriors aren't supposed to have a shot, but you wouldn't know it from their fans. Here's Marcus Thompson, an Oakland native and lead columnist for The Athletic. It was so loud, like you could hear it. We were like two and a half hours early, and you just get the chills. Today, the We Believe Warriors, the pride of Oakland, California, make NBA playoff history. I actually got the chance to speak with one of the players on that team, Adonal Foyle, as well as journalists Logan Murdoch and Marcus Thompson, plus the guys from the Jenkins and Jones NBA podcast, all in an attempt to answer. How did the 2007 We Believe Warriors figure out a way to take down a true juggernaut? And how does their playing style still influence teams today, nearly two decades later? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of your listeners might not know this, but there was a time where the Warriors were an awful franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Oakland native Marcus Thompson is a lead columnist covering the Bay Area for The Athletic and author of Golden, The Miraculous Rise of Steph Curry. He's watched the Golden State Warriors build an NBA dynasty, making it to the final six times and winning four championships. But he's also seen what the Warriors were like before that. There was a time where they were terrible. You know, before Steph Curry, way back in the prehistoric age, they went 13 years without making the playoffs. I mean, they were uh, notoriously inept. But regardless of how good or bad the Warriors have been, 
their fans in Oakland have always loved them. Like Oracle's a great venue. Like it's teaming. They're at, they're pulling 18,000 a night. You know, which is like crazy for a team that hadn't made the playoffs. Like there was an energy. Like if this team ever gets good, this place is going to go wild because it was lit for a team that was like not even 500. At the same time, there's a bit of a shaky alliance between the Warriors and the rest of the Bay Area. It is, in a lot of ways, Oakland's team. It embodied just the overall personality of Oakland. But the Golden State Warriors never really claimed Oakland during the time they were in Oakland. That's Logan Murdoch. He's also an Oakland native who writes for The Ringer and co-hosts the NBA podcast Real Ones. They said, you know, organizationally that they wanted to represent the whole Bay Area while having an arena in Oakland. But their actions suggest, you know, otherwise, you know, they were always trying to get back to San Francisco or in other cases, even get out of Oakland altogether. And with the San Francisco versus Oakland rivalry, the Oakland fans show up the Warriors games with a massive chip on their shoulder mentality. We got the little brother syndrome, like we always ready to scrap and prove ourselves. And that's what the Warriors were, right? The team that just like wanted some respect. The fans are passionate. But the Warriors entered the 06-07 NBA season with very modest expectations. They haven't finished the season with a winning record since 1994. To get back to the playoffs, Golden State hires the same guy who led them there once before, head coach Don Nelson, also known as Nelly by the fans. Nelson coached the Warriors from 1988 to 1995, leading them to the playoffs four times. He goes on to coach the New York Knicks and the Dallas Mavericks. But in 2006, the Warriors bring him back. So what was the perception of Don Nelson just generally amongst Warriors fans? He's a Warriors legend. He's a Warriors coaching legend. And I think that the fan base loves Nelly at this point because, I mean, Don Nelson fits perfectly within the fabric of the Bay Area, right? Why say that? Um, because he's a coach that um, isn't afraid to say he smokes weed, and he's also a coach that will like literally have a beer in his hand as he's talking to the media afterwards, and he has these quirky comments, and he's and he also was the guy that would come into the practices with his dog and say, "Oh, players, you run the practices. It's all good," and then leave and go to the lake and chill for the rest of the day. So they have their coach. And on the court, the Warriors have some solid starters. Jason Richardson, Monte Ellis, who were both drafted by Golden State. And they have their point guard and leader, Baron Davis. Like, Baron Davis is just talent-wise. He has Hall of Fame talent, right? Like, like on his best day, he's as good as anybody. On Baron Davis's best day, sure. But at least early on, there just aren't enough of those. As the season approaches Christmas, the Warriors have a 12-14 and 14 record. Was there ever a game or a particular point during, like, the first half of that season where it's like, all right, like, it's just, it's another Warriors season. Like, was there a low point for them? Yeah, they started losing at home. <laughs> it was just like, yo, what what is happening? And, then, and once the Warriors can't win at home, that's ballgame, right? Like, they have to win at home. It was like, you know, two steps forward, three steps back. At this point in the season, the Warriors front office starts wondering if they have the right players to get them back to the playoffs. 
it just wasn't working. They're struggling. They're having a rough time. They're not playing well. You're getting to that part where it's like trade deadline. And that's where they pulled the trigger on the trade. And the trade, it's a big one. They traded for Al Harrington and Steven Jackson, who was on the trade block because he shot a gun at a strip club. He's at a strip club, a car hits his friend. So he trying to get them to stop, like shoots a gun in the air. He gets suspended for a few games. This is a national story. This is the same Steven Jackson who was involved in a brawl just two years earlier when fans actually stormed the court and fought with players, an event known as Malice at the Palace. This was who they were bringing to save the day. (laughs) Even with all that baggage, these new players quickly joined their teammates in connecting with the Oakland community. Stack lived by Lake Merritt and lived and used to go to the Louisiana chicken spot, like down the street. (laughs) And um, Don Nelson used to go do shuffleboard by Grand Lake Theater all the time. They had one of those team outings that you always have. Having Baron Davis and Steven Jackson and the Warriors take orders out of McDonald's drive-in in East My Mom, which was like awesome to think because no like that would never happen i'm telling you that will never happen in this day and age you will never see clay thompson at east mile mall in the middle of east Oakland. you will never see steph curry there but stack was like bet i'll go do it i spoke with the donald foil who played center for the warriors from 1997 to 2007 what were the personalities like in the locker room i mean you had steven jackson Matt Barnes, Baron Davis. Like, literally, they got their own podcast and stuff now. They are personalities. So what were they like back then? Let me just say that is a good thing we didn't have as much social media back then. <laughs> the camaraderie is great off the court. On the court, though, the Warriors continue to struggle, especially while Baron Davis and Jason Richardson missed several games with injuries. Again, here's Marcus Thompson. I remember they had a huge losing streak after the all-star break like five or six in a row and that is about the time in the warriors universe where it falls apart and i remember it just felt like ah here here we go again (laughs) but by march davis and richardson returned allowing head coach don nelson to fully implement his scheme which fans affectionately refer to as nelly ball Nelly believed in, number one, his philosophy is you just put the five best basketball players on the court, right? At this point in NBA history, Nelson's philosophy is in sharp contrast to most of the other teams who employ more traditional ideas of constructing lineups. Two small guards, two wing players, and one big center who spends most of the game parked underneath the basket. Don Nelson doesn't care about any of that. I spoke with Tyler, John, and Mike, the trio behind the Jenkins and Jones NBA podcast. This wasn't like Don Nelson having a hot hand at the crap table, right? Like this was Don Nelson's entire basketball philosophy. You're running a three guard with Baron Davis, Monte Ellis, Jason Richardson. You didn't see lineups like that 15 years ago, right? That's that's that you do on like NBA 2K, you know, and, you know, going small ball. That was unheard of 15 years ago. But Nelson and the Warriors aren't afraid to play this way as they take on a Detroit Pistons team that's led by the same core members of their 2004 championship run. And this new look Warriors team demolishes them by 18 points. And Richardson with another three. And they beat Detroit. It was like, how the heck y'all beat the Pistons? And then, you know, they kind of got an identity. 
they started playing a certain way. They started to understand Nelly and you could feel it brewing. Again, here's O'Donnell Foyle, a center for that Warriors team, who agrees this game against the Pistons is the team's biggest turning point in the regular season. It was Detroit going down the stretch when we kind of had that epiphany, like, you know, if we win this game, we, we, we could do this. Just like that, the wins start piling up. First, three in a row. Then, six out of seven, including a 17-point win over Don Nelson's previous team, the Dallas Mavericks, who are in first place with by far the best record in the NBA. And at least one fan starts to believe. His name was Paul Wong. Wong is a Bay Area restaurant owner whose family immigrated to the United States from Burma, and he just fell in love with the NBA, specifically the Warriors. Wong spends thousands of dollars of his own money to make signs for games with two words, we believe. This one guy just starts printing them like he did it himself and was like handing them out so you'd see some signs. Like, we believe it. Then they went again, and you see some more signs. <laughs> then they went again. It was like, but, like, nobody was believing at the time. Like, let's not front. Like, <laughs> no, it wasn't like this groundswell. We still believe you were. It was like one dude who was wild, you know, a super fan who was just like, yeah, no, we still believe. <laughs> the fans start to rally behind this we believe concept, and the players themselves feed off the energy as they managed to win 14 out of 19 games to climb back into contention. Again, here's a Donald Foyle. I think the We Believe mantra was perfect for that time because we had to believe in ourselves. And I think the fans really, really believed in us before maybe we believed in ourselves. But even with all the wins down the stretch, the Warriors are still only on the cusp of making the playoffs, fighting to get in with two games left in the season. And who's next on the schedule? The first place Dallas Mavericks, led by arguably the best player in the league, Dirk Nowitzki. And if the Warriors are going to survive, they're going to have to win. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Dallas Mavericks, the best team in the NBA, arrive in Oakland, California for the second-to-last game of the 06-07 season with a chance to knock the Warriors out of playoff contention. 
Here's Marcus Thompson. All they had to do was win, and the worst season was over. And they rested everybody. No Dirk Nowitzki, no Josh Howard, no Jerry Stackhouse. That's three of the Mavericks' top four scores that don't even dress for this game. Now, it's not uncommon for the top team to rest some of their starters before the playoffs begin. But the Warriors take that as a sign of something bigger. Possibly disrespect, or maybe even fear. They knew Dallas was scared of them at that point. It was like, oh, Dallas don't want to see us. They're shook. Dallas don't want to see us. <laughs> the Warriors, playing their full squad, win in a landslide game that's basically over by halftime. The final score, 111-82. to 82. The victory nudges the Warriors up over 500 for the first time since early January. Just good enough to squeak into the playoffs as the Western Conference's eighth and final seed a few days later. And when you're the last place seed in the playoffs, you get matched up against the top-seeded team, the Dallas Mavericks. The number one and the number eight seed, the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs for the first time in 13 years, taking on the Dallas Mavericks, the team with the best record in the NBA, 67-15. and 15. For the Mavericks, simply a matter of unfinished business. They want a title, that's all they want. The Mavericks won 67 games in the regular season. The Warriors won just 42. But they won all four meetings with the Mavericks. When they got the Mavericks matchup, there was cautious optimism. We might have a chance here. That's what the Warriors fans are thinking. We might have a chance here, but also we're playing against the MVP, Dirk Nowitzki. This is a team that was fresh off a finals run, and that team's best player had gotten even better, right? Then 06-07 Dirk is perhaps the best version of Dirk we've ever seen. His only MVP season, his only 50-40-90 season. This Mavs team was as legit as legit could be. We did not see this coming. Warriors coach Don Nelson starts to play mind games with Dallas's coach, his former protege, Avery Johnson. Right before that series started, Don Nelson, in the huddle, decided to change the lineup. His thing was trying to see if Avery will follow. And Avery did. Change his lineup at the last minute. This team went 9-1 and one to finish the year. And Avery Johnson is responding. Devin George is going to start. And he is going to be on defense. That's where the Warriors are like, we got him. Because Dallas was trying to play like the Warriors. In game one, Nelly Ball is working. The Warriors use a collection of lineups that emphasize speed and three-point shooting. The Warriors shoot 33 pointers. That's a ton for a season when NBA teams average less than 17 attempts per game. They ran that team off the floor, and now that has been a blueprint. Not only was it a great team, but that's been a blueprint for what the NBA that we see today. And on defense, Nelly Ball totally disrupts the flow of the Mavericks offense, which rated as the second best in the NBA in the regular season. The Warriors hold Nowitzki to just 14 points on 16 shots. They caught the Mavericks by surprise, putting smaller guys onto Dirk Nowitzki. They didn't shut down Dirk. They just made him work for everything, neutralize the offense. And it's like, nah, you, if you're going to get 30, it's going to be a tough 30, right? And you're going to be in the ice bath after that. Steven Jackson's like, it's just me and you, bro. You're better than me. You're a Hall of Famer. But in this series, you got problems. The Warriors take game one convincingly, 97-85. The Warriors have come into Dallas against the number one seed and have stunned the Western Conference leaders. In game two, the Mavericks tie the series up. 
mostly because the Warriors' Baron Davis and Steven Jackson each get ejected for technical fouls. But they continue to play tough, relentless basketball. Warriors center Adonal Foyle. We wanted them to think like, we're going to be here for as long as this series go on. We're not going to move. We're not going to shrink. We're not going to be nervous and go away. We're going to be here in this moment, and you're going to have to beat us. With the series tied 1-1, the Warriors know they'll be getting a hometown boost, with games three and four being played in Oakland. They finally get to host a playoff game in game three. So how crazy was that crowd? Just what was it like? It was one of the most amazing moments of my career. Like, it's the reason we cover sports. Between game one and two, I was talking to Jason Richardson. He was like, you watch when we get to Oracle. They ain't gonna be able to handle it. And I'm like, first off, how could you know that? But just the series, like, he knew. He knew. They knew. If they could withstand Dallas, they will not be able to handle us in Oakland. This team is gonna fall apart. However loud Richardson thought it would be for Game 3, it's somehow even louder. Thank you and welcome everyone to Oracle Arena in Oakland, California. And you have the definition of a raucous crowd. The first home playoff game in 13 years here at the Oracle. Oracle has, it was built in the 60s. So you have these big concrete beams that just reverberate sound. And... It's not necessarily great for concerts per se, but it is great for a basketball game where the sound would just go to the top of the arena and it come right back down. Those games were insane because you couldn't hear a thing. Chance of let's go Warriors break out in the stands a full hour before the game starts. And according to Marcus Thompson, the Warriors players start to smell blood in the water. So you got these intimidating players on the court. You got this maniacal crowd that's going crazy. Like, people folded. It was unbelievable. They'd be in a locker room talking about, oh, he don't want He should. I, and then they're like, they were bullies. They were, they were straight bullies. That's what they were. They loved it, yeah. By the third quarter, the Warriors have bullied their way to an 18-point lead. Richardson up. for Richardson and a lead up to 17. Jason Richardson and Baron Davis combined for 54 points as the Warriors win game three, 109 to 91. That Warriors team dominated the Mavericks and it was, it was really fun to watch. In game four, the Warriors find themselves down by nine in the third quarter and they make a big push to change momentum heading into the fourth. Down the stretch, the Warriors make every big defensive play. Dirk Nowitzki makes some last-minute baskets, but it's not enough. The Warriors hang on 103 to 99. But the nail isn't hammered down just yet. 
the Warriors lose Game 5 in Dallas, 118-112. So, it's back to Oakland for Game 6. And Game 6 is a madhouse. Snoop Dogg, Woody Harrelson, and Kate Hudson are among the 20,000-plus fans inside the Oracle. The whole crowd is a mustard-yellow blur, with nearly everyone wearing a t-shirt, with Paul Wong's now famous slogan, We Believe. The Warriors jump out to a quick lead, but the team stay fairly even throughout the first half, thanks to a few circus shots from Steven Jackson and Baron Davis. The game is tied at 46 with a half minute left. In the half. Oh, Davis! With the leader! He thought he was being But in the third quarter? That third quarter was a blitz. I think they won it by at least 20 points. Yes, 36 to 15. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, I remember that. Like, no, it was over, bro. It was over. Jackson hits threes. Matt Barnes dunks over Dirk Nowitzki. The Warriors are rolling, and the entire arena is behind them. Jackson from straight away for three. Yes. There's Davis coming last. Richardson with the steal. And the onslaught continues. Dallas just, they were done. <laughs> like, it was a, they just completely fell apart. According to Warriors guard Monte Ellis, it's the loudest they ever heard Oracle. I don't know if I've ever seen a better crowd either, Barbie. I mean, in my entire career of playing and watching basketball, even at the college level, you know, maybe maybe this is something you'd see at you know, Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke or something, but I've never seen an entire crowd stand for the whole second half. Never seen that. The Warriors win 111-86, becoming the first eight seed to beat a one seed in a seven-game series ever. The Golden State Warriors have pulled off the greatest upset in the history of the NBA playoffs. They have defeated the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, you can't you can't explain that. It was uh, we were just we celebrated at probably a few days. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what was it like in the locker room after that? But I don't know if you can say it. <laughs> yeah, there was champagne everywhere. I couldn't see nothing. It was, I mean, we, we probably have to spend probably a week trying to clean out that, that locker room. <laughs> after beating the Mavericks, the We Believe Warriors fairy tale story ends in the second round of the playoffs against the Utah Jazz. The Jazz beat them easily four games to one. But Baron Davis does deliver the most iconic moment of Golden State's run when the six foot three guard dunks on six foot nine forward Andre Kirilenko. But then also an open up. Oh, that's for sure one of the best dunks of all time. I think it's the defining play of Baron Davis's career. It's one of the all-time great dunks. You know, we knew that that Jazz series was not going to go the way that the previous series went. So it was kind of like, like, you know, Baron Davis getting that. You know, it was kind of like, you know, he went out on his sword at least. You know, that was kind of the sentiment with that one. That moment is part of the reason why the We Believe Warriors caught the imagination of NBA fans in a way no other underdog had before. 
And from an on-court basketball perspective, it's easy to see why. This team was way ahead of its time. They led the league in pace, three-point attempts, field goal attempts, and total number of possessions, using an up-tempo offense with shooters spreading the floor. It's the sort of tactics that are now used by nearly every one of today's successful NBA teams. And for the city of Oakland, the We Believe Warriors represent something much more. It's the rarest moment in the NBA, and I can't really think of another moment like it, where a team that was a have-not gets to throw mud in the eye of Goliath, but then that franchise ends up becoming one of the chosen franchises. (laughs) I know Warriors fans who will tell you still, they almost have more affection for the We Believe Warriors because of what that success meant in the desert of their history, and versus now they have a, a legitimate golden era going on, obviously. Oakland is full of people who know something about being in trouble, right? Everybody's been impacted by poverty. Everybody's been impacted by crime, right? Everybody knows somebody who has their potential kind of snuffed out or put at risk, right, because of the environment. So here comes Steven Jackson, Matt Barnes. Here comes Al Harrington. Here's people who have been written off, but like for one year, for one series, really, They were the best team in basketball. You're going to respect us. You're going to appreciate us. You're going to love us for our culture, for our community, for our disposition. Steph Curry made it about winning it all. It wasn't about that. It was about representing. It was like the small town team. Even though Oakland ain't a small town, I'll put peep that on record. It was just like, you know, the neighborhood AAU team just balling on a national scale and really putting us on the map. You know, Raiders were trash. The A's hadn't been good since the 90s. For one series, the top of the world. It's crazy. It's crazy. And that's what it was about. Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1973. Secretariat wins the Kentucky Derby in 1 minute and 59.4 seconds, still the fastest run in Kentucky Derby history. And 1995, Reggie Miller of the Indiana Pacers famously scores 8 points in 9 seconds to win Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals over the rival New York Knicks. If you'd like to get in touch, please shoot us an email at sportspod at history.com or leave us a voicemail at 212-351-351. 0410. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks to our guest, Marcus Thompson, a lead columnist covering the Bay Area for The Athletic and author of Golden, The Miraculous Rise of Steph Curry. Logan Murdoch, writer for The Ringer and co-host of the NBA podcast Real Ones. Adonal Foyle, 13-year NBA veteran and member of the 2007 We Believe Warriors. And Tyler Perrier, Mike Gardabasio, and John Nichols of the Jenkins and Jones NBA podcast. This episode was produced by David Ingber. It was story edited by me, Kaylin Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by Cooper McKim. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Copyright 2023 A&E Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved.